Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 227 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is Tracy Stanley. Tracy is a prominent meditation and yoga nidra teacher. I think of her as like the queen of yoga nidra. She has a beautiful voice, a relaxing presence, and she has a new book called Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. And I will put a link to that on the show notes page. So I can't believe I've never covered Yoga Nidra before. I was so excited to talk to her. This episode is kind of like everything you need to know about it and more with some beautiful suggestions from Tracy for practicing outside and for being able to drop in and do Yoga Nidra even if you are like me and are challenged by anxiety from time to time. For those of us who have anxiety challenges, dropping in can be really difficult. And in speaking to her, I felt like she is just really a guide, that she really has the ability to work with anyone. So I know you will enjoy the interview so much as I did. And before we get to the interview, I just wanted to do a quick little announcement that Jason is offering all three modules of his 500-hour advanced teacher training this year. Module two is almost full. So if you are interested in taking all three modules, you can do them in any order that you want. And you can take as much time as you want in terms of you can do all three of them in a year or you can spread them out over different years. But module two is coming up April 12th through May 1st. And that one is almost sold out. And then module three is also getting full. That's May 31st through June 19th. And then he is offering module one again in 2021 by popular demand. So that's coming up in August. If you are interested in any of these modules, just go to our website, jasonyoga.com and click on study with us and you will see 500 hour training and you can get all the details that you need, the dates, the times, the how it works, the syllabus, all that good stuff. Just go to our website. Okay, everyone, and enjoy the interview with Tracy. So Tracy, thanks so much for being here today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Thank you for having me. I'm so appreciative. Yeah. So I kind of think of you these days. I mean, I know you have been a yoga teacher for decades and, you know, you've trained with the best, but I really think of you as, I don't, and I actually don't, I'm going to ask you, is it yoga nidra or yoga nidra in the way that you say it? Yeah. As I've been taught, it's yoga nidra. Okay. Um, And part of that is because the E sound represents this idea of Shakti. And so we say nidra. Okay. So I think of you as the yoga nidra queen. (laughs) And I know that you, that you teach yoga, meditation, yoga nidra, but was there a moment when you felt in your teaching, like this is something that I am really drawn to focus on, or was it just kind of a gradual thing where people sought it out more and more, and it became more of a focus for you? So I was introduced to the practice in 2001, really as more of a deep relaxation or a guided Shavasana practice. And I immediately felt the effects of that. And that was kind of right at the beginning of my teaching journey. 
So maybe about a year or two after that, I started incorporating it into all of my classes. My teacher at the time really kind of asked us not to just let people hang out in Shavasana at the end, Mm. but to guide them in some way and then create and leave room for spaciousness. So what I noticed immediately, because I was teaching at that time, tantric vinyasa flow, lots of arm balances and intense kriyas, that at the end of class, what people really wanted to know more about and felt like they were really receiving something special from was the deep relaxation at the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so in 2004, I just decided, well, I wonder what would happen if I just recorded some yoga nidra practices separate from the yoga asana and people loved it. So that was kind of my first clue that people really needed the practice. We do need it, don't we? I <laughs> I was telling you before we started that I've started doing tapping. I feel like there just are not, there cannot be too many different inroads and techniques to help us to relax in this day and age. There just can't I be too many. I completely agree. I completely <laughs> agree because we're going to need something different for each moment. So the more tools we have, the better it is for us, I think. Yeah. So for people who are not as familiar, how would you describe the difference between like meditating or, you know, a guided meditation, Shavasana, Yoga Nidra, like where does it sit within these, these practices? Well, I think one thing is, is that with meditation practices in general, our spine is perpendicular to the earth. So there's a sense of energy moving from the base of the spine, moving upwards towards the crown and maybe beyond. In Shavasana, Shavasana is really a posture, which we could say is corpse pose. Mm -hmm. And we could be doing a myriad of things in Shavasana, including thinking and doing our laundry list. You know, if we're just taking the pose of Shavasana, if we're actually practicing relaxation we may not be doing that systematically. And what I would be saying as far as yoga nidra is concerned is that yoga nidra is three different things. So yoga nidra is a technique where we are systematically guided or we systematically guide ourselves to relax the body part by part or even place attention and awareness in different points in the body and different marma points. And then eventually just allowing ourselves to kind of release awareness of the physical body, become aware of our energetic body, our mental body, our wisdom body, and then eventually just rest to the point where we can just really be aware of prana and follow prana back to the source and rest in that spacious awareness. Yoga Nidra is also a state of consciousness and it's known as something very similar to samadhi. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it actually is a full system of yoga in itself. Hmm. So different than Shavasana and different than I would say also meditation, um, because the spine is generally parallel to the earth. 
which is allowing this force of tamas or this force of inertia to help us enact or have this kind of feeling of nidra shakti, the power of repose, as my, my good friend Uma Dinsmortuli likes to say, the power of sleep to take that with us. And at the same time is that we don't think about it then as regular sleep. It's sleep with this awareness weaved through, that we're aware of the transitions between waking, dreaming, deep sleep, and moving into that portal of what's called the fourth state or turiya, which is a state that's beyond description. It's not something that we can actually describe. We kind of maybe know that we've tasted it a little bit if we've been there or touched it. So yoga nidra is a full system of yoga. Mm -hmm. It has all the limbs. That's amazing. And the only pose you need to do is one where you're supported and comfortable. Okay. And do you, I'm going to get through all the nitty gritty questions, I promise. I just want to kind of like front load the conversation. So people who are less familiar with it will kind of have it in mind. So is there a recommended duration for yoga nidra? You know, I've heard different things. And and from what I understand is that it takes about 20 to 25 minutes for the parasympathetic nervous system to really turn on, especially if we're coming from a place of fight or flight. Yeah. So I would say 20 minutes to 25 minutes is a really good amount of time to really be able to feel as though you've been restored and rejuvenated in the practice. But the more you practice, the more you kind of can attune yourself to the baseline of feeling relaxed more easily when you lay down and you start to maybe just bring awareness to your breathing. And so there are other practices that are much shorter. There are some people who have taught three minute yoga nidra practices. So it really depends on kind of where you're starting your journey, even if you're a seasoned, you know, practitioner. Yeah. I was wondering, I was wondering if people say to you, like the equivalent of what people say to my husband, you know, as a vinyasa teacher, they say to him often when, when we're in like, let's say a social setting, like a parent's social setting at school or something, and nobody there really does yoga. And they'll say to him, Oh, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, <laughs> if people, if you get a lot of like, Oh, I couldn't do that because I can't relax. Oh, and yeah. like what you say to the, how you help <laughs> those people understand. Yeah. I, I guess I'm curious, like how, how, do, how you help those people understand that that's not a prerequisite. That's actually something where that they can learn. Yeah, I usually start with self-inquiry, mm. you know, and just really ask, what are their beliefs about rest? What are their beliefs about their own worthiness mm. of receiving rest? Who were the people that modeled rest for them in their life? Mm. And so I kind of start there and then we, we do a little bit of work around that based on what answers I receive. Yeah, that's so smart. When you said that, I was thinking also one thing that comes up for me when I when I go through lengths of time where I feel like I have not been doing the more yin side of my movement practices, like I might go through periods of time where I'm walking outdoors a lot. 
I mean, especially during COVID, because I just need to get outside. I need to clear my head. I need to be in the sun. But that's just a very different thing than getting on my mat or, or meditating or doing a relaxation practice. And I find that when I finally sit down to do one of my more quiet practices, that it's like I had forgotten the benefits of resting. It's like I had mm-hmm. complete, it's like, it all comes back to me. Oh yeah. <laughs> I actually don't have to equate everything with being productive all the time. And when I take care of myself in this way, that feels so counterintuitive to day-to-day life, I tend to actually be more creative and resourceful and all of those, those things. Yeah. I feel like everyone can relate to what you just said, because it's not only feels counterintuitive, but it's counterculture. Mm, that's so true. It's so right? true. It's, it's yeah. like the world is designed to keep us going, 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 and, and looking outward. And the moment we stop, then we really get to see more truth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I definitely um, feel that. And I think that it's a good way to look at things and think about like the balance of maybe my walking practice. Cause I, I definitely hear you wanting to get outside into nature and need, definitely needing to be in the sun is how can I create a flow where I can walk maybe for 15 minutes and then find a sunny spot and rest for 15 minutes. Mm. And that's my practice. Yeah. That's so smart. (laughs) See, we all need (laughs) teachers in every way. Like, how did I never think about that? (laughs) I go, I live in this neighborhood in San Francisco where there's this great hill, it's called Bernal Heights. And there's this, you know, how San Francisco has like seven hills. And so it's, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty big hike just straight up. And there's plenty of places I could sit down on a rock and be quiet, but for some reason, I've never thought of that before. Oh, that's funny. It is hard to slow down sometimes. Do you find that, that teaching this practice has, has changed you? And if so, how? Mm. What a great question. I would say that first for, well, first of all, the answer is yes. But firstly, I think where I noticed the shift was what I was interested in teaching and sharing. So like I said before, I was teaching tantric, vinyasa, hatha, yoga, and more and more, I found myself just wanting to teach sequences that were preparing people and their bodies and their chronic and their energy to receive the practice of yoga nidra. So everything that I was doing really was about how can I prepare the body? How can I think about the values? How can I think about the gunas in order to prepare the body to be able to rest? Mm -hmm. And that was different than how I was approaching teaching before. Mm. There was definitely a trauma but the trauma was not necessarily about how can we get to the deepest, deepest level of the states of consciousness where we can go in yoga nidra practices. Mm-hmm. So do you mean like you have sort of spend more conscious time 
tuning into the gunas or like your inner states as a result of having to guide people in this way? Yeah, definitely. And I would say that, you know, one of the other ways in which I think the practice has changed me is it's attuned me more to nature, Hmm. to the elements inside of me, the universe inside of me, which of course is very tantric. And then started to, I started really thinking, well, wait a second, if the rishis and the rishikas were realizing these states of consciousness in nature and in the forest, Hmm. why am I actually practicing inside when I don't have to? Mm -hmm. So I started to bring my practices outside and, you know, think about some of the practices that I had been doing for a long time and the visualizations that I had been given, like, you know, for instance, seeing a a clear blue sky or a vast blue sky at the heart center. Hmm. And it's like, oh, why don't I just go outside and look at the vast blue sky and visualize and feel it in my heart center. And when I'm thinking about the yoga nidra practice of, you know, placing the tiny blue star-like points of light and the, and the points, why don't I just go outside and put those little points Uh, you know, because I can see them in the sky in my body. Mm. And it's really started to shift my understanding, awareness, and just the depth of the practice. Yeah. That sounds so lovely. So do you sometimes you, you take your own practice outside and you find a spot and like, lay down and do your yoga nidra? Yeah, nice. I, long, I just did it yesterday and, oh, I, love and it. I do it whenever I can. And when we, when we train teachers, one of the things, you know, this is pre-COVID, but when we train teachers to become yoga nidra facilitators, we bring them out into deep nature so that we can see the starlit skies and we can be in a forest or somewhere where it's very dark to experience the feeling of the void so that we really have an embodied experience of all of these things that we're talking about. And, and that really came from doing these practices in nature and, and feeling the difference in my body and the understanding also of yoga nidra as a goddess, which is the third kind of definition. And I'm sure there's many others that I don't know about, but one of the other definitions is yoga nidra is a goddess. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It sounds amazing to be with a group and do this practice outdoors. Have you been able to do it more during COVID since people are, you know, I find that any yoga teachers who are actually teaching are doing it out mostly outdoors these days. Yeah. So I have not been teaching any live classes. I've been doing everything virtually. And so we've done two yoga nidra uh, teacher trainings during COVID. And basically we give the teachers the practices to do in nature if they're able to. And then for those who are not able to, because they live in more urban areas, we've actually found some amazing videos that we have them watch in complete darkness where they Mm. can see the stars and then they can still do the same practice and it works beautifully. Living in San Francisco, you know, it's a strange thing because the fog rolls in at night, you Mm. rarely see the stars. So I would have to be one of those people that you would have to send a video to. 
we are moving soon. This Ooh. is like not public knowledge, but I'm suddenly <laughs> announcing it. And um, I, where are you moving? <laughs> uh, we're moving to Southern California. Oh, okay. Yeah, which to, part? Uh, Carlsbad. Okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll you'll stop in Big Sur on your way to Carlsbad for a night, and maybe I don't know. Esalen's probably closed, but look up at the stars because that's that's you can really see the stars up in Big Sur. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm really excited to go to a place where it's friendly to be outside in the evening because. San Francisco, mm-hmm. it's just, it's freezing, you know, it's just so mm-hmm. cold every evening and, and having a kid with an earlier bedtime, it's been like a decade <laughs> since I've been outside <laughs> in the evening and actually enjoyed myself. So I will definitely be thinking of you as I tune into the stars this summer. It's exciting. It's really exciting. So I have two like very opposite questions about practitioners Uh, I'm going to ask them both right now, and then you can decide which order you want to answer them. I would love to know what kinds of feedback you get from people who go through this training, because I imagine it just is really at the very least nervous system altering. Mm -hmm. And then the sort of opposite question is, I wonder if you've ever had students because I had panic attacks in my twenties and I will probably always kind of be managing anxiety. It's just sort of how I'm wired and was born. So I can imagine that you may have had a time or two, a student who either the the dropping in process was really scary and they panicked, or perhaps they actually did drop in and they, they panicked. And I'm just wondering kind of how you help people handle that, that fear of, of completely relaxing. Mm. So I'll answer the first question first. The feedback from the Yoga Nidra teacher training is usually that it's life altering. Hmm. And I say that because most of the time, I think that people will want to do the teacher training because they want to have Yoga Nidra as another tool in their tool belt. And they're approaching it as a technique. And when we start to really dive into the states of consciousness and to the nature practices, and then to yoga nidra as a goddess, who is really this manifestation of the divine mother who is there to hold and cradle and nurture and support you unconditionally, whether you see or feel her as a personified being or just as the earth itself, Hmm. that relationship begins to form over the months because we do this practice, we do this training over a number of months and you're in relationship with the practice, with the technique, with the state of consciousness. And that's something that I believe shifts people as people have told me, because it's no longer something that feels outside of you. Mm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I have done um, a similar tantric meditation with Sally Kempton Mm. of like letting the mother hold you, giving yourself over to the mother. And I still come back to that one when I'm really struggling. That one is that feeling of 
that connection and that unconditional support is so lens shifting, you know, most of us haven't had that feeling before because let's face it, humans are fallible and our mothers are fallible and I'm one and I'm, you know, I'm sure I'm, I'm not always there in that, in exactly the way that she will need every single second. So that's an awesome gift to give to people. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing that they really give to themselves. Mm. You know, we, we're just presenting the information and the techniques and, and you really have to enter into that relationship yourself. And so I think that that really is also part of the answer to the second question, because when you have that experience of being held unconditionally and allowing yourself to surrender into that hold little by little, moment by moment, no one can ever take that kind of knowing away from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really and true. It, it's true, right? And it mm-hmm. becomes like a sacred abode. So we definitely have many people who come to the training who have suffered from panic attacks or anxiety we first of all, always make sure that we have references to at least three or four therapists so that people have resources in case um, something arises that we are not prepared to handle because we're not psychotherapists. Yeah. And we also offer tools of energetic protection. There's a couple of practices uh, around energetic protection of course, knowing that the mother is there, that seems to allow people to drop in as much as they feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Because I think sometimes this commanding of our students to let go Hmm. or relax or surrender without even considering that there's many different experiences in the room that can become problematic. Mm-hmm. And so when we we really allow people to start to attune to their own breathing and give them the tools to understand what each practice does and that if you suffer from panic attacks, it may be best to stay with the grounding practices mm. as opposed to the practices that start to dissolve because we have to think that or remember that yoga nidra is a laya yoga practice. So it's a practice of dissolution Hmm. and it's a pratyahara practice. And so for some people, it may not feel safe for them to withdraw all of their senses and start dissolving into nothingness. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. (laughs) To me, that just sounds, that does sound really scary. Yeah. Right. Because I think when you feel anxious, you already feel like you can't find yourself. You can't Mm -hmm. find your ground in your center. So yeah, that really makes sense to me. While we're teaching these practices and, you know, we may have someone who says, oh, wow, you know, I did the, the practice of Shatali Karna and it made me feel really anxious. Well, yes, because you're dissolving the body from the feet all the way up to the crown of the head, literally dissolving into spaciousness. Mm-hmm. So for that person, we recommend something different and they can learn the steps of how to teach that for someone else. 
but that may not be the practice that is for them. Mm. I love that you have that wisdom to obviously to, to, to just personalize it and alter it according to who's in front of you. And, and also to have the therapist available, because as you said, just so much happens when we're going through these processes and sometimes we need some extra support. So that's great. I really applaud you for, for doing that. That's really smart, really smart. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Can I completely change gears for a moment? And Let's do it. I can't help it. I know that we probably could ask this and if you want me to edit it out, I will, but I just want to know what it was like to teach for Oprah and Gail. <laughs> I just love her so much. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I am happy to answer that question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it was such a defining moment. Yeah. That's great. And when I say defining moment, it was really a defining moment for the hope of this world. Hmm. There were 2,500 women. I think there were two women who actually brought their husbands along, but there were 2,500 women (laughs) on this ship. And basically they were there for two singular purposes. One was because they wanted to meet Oprah and be with Oprah. And two was because they wanted to live their best life. Hmm that was it. They were there to be their, their best selves, to live their best lives. And I was one of the first people to get on the ship. And I started to, you know, I love to watch people. So I was watching as everybody was kind of getting on the, on the ship and just noticing all of the different cultures, all of the different socioeconomic backgrounds Hmm. that were coming onto the ship. And I remember thinking to myself, Hmm, this is going to be interesting because we have some very clearly wealthy women who have like these incredible master suites happening. (laughs) And then we have some people who are with a family or a group of like five or six people sharing one room together. Mm -hmm. We have people that are from the rural South and we have people who are from, you know, the upper West side. And I thought, oh, it's going to be interesting because I feel like people are going to start kind of dividing into their little cliques because as somebody who's a retreat leader, I know that for myself, I try not to have more than 20 people on a retreat because it starts to become little groups Hmm. of people as opposed to one whole group. Mm -hmm. And so I just was thinking, okay, this is what's going to happen. It's going to start getting like really interesting. And what happened within literally a day was that every person was loving up on every other person and every other woman that they saw wow on that ship where people were in elevators crying together laughing together singing together i'd never seen anything like this in my entire life wow it was amazing. And so it was like, okay, this is what happens. First of all, when you have the Shakti of somebody like an Oprah Winfrey that everyone is coming to see and they want to show up and be their best for her. Uh Right. That really, and, and for themselves. 
it was an astounding thing to to watch and to even see that so many women, most of the women on the ship had not done yoga before. They had not meditated before. And so the day, the first, second day that I was teaching, this is like the day where we, we go to the, the islands in the Bahamas and we're going to do yoga on the beach. And I remember one of the women saying to me, the organizer, she said, oh, so are you ready for your class? And I thought, well, that's an odd question. I came all the way here. Of course, I'm ready for, to teach my class. And she said, well, you know, there's a thousand people that are showing up. We've never had that many people show up for a yoga class before or a meditation class. Yeah. And I was like, well, thankfully, I've been teaching at Wonderlust for all these years. So yeah, I'm definitely ready for a thousand people on the beach. Wow. And and at the same time, it was like, what do these people need the most? Mm. And what I had seen, because I was like roaming the halls and kind of watching everybody over the days, what I noticed most was that people, I could tell people came there tired because there was no pause between life and getting on the ship. Hmm. And so I made that decision to make the, the yoga class about what I've been, what I said at the very beginning, how can I prepare the body and the mind to deeply rest? So we're going to move for a couple of minutes, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minutes. And then we're going to rest for 25, 30 minutes. Wow. And the best part about that trip was that after that practice, there was a woman from rural Alabama who came up to me, a black woman. And she said, that was the first time in my life that I've ever given myself permission to rest. Oh gosh. I must've made you want to cry. <laughs> uh, I did. I did cry and oh, I am yeah. already tearing up. <laughs> And so it's like to be able to give that gift in that environment and to be able to see and be in the orbit of, of Oprah and Gail while they were inspiring people hmm. to be their best. And at the same time, listening to Oprah speak, she was really, I really believe that she was teaching yogic principles in the most secular way hmm. that I have ever seen or heard, including showing clips of her films and other films to illustrate the principles that she was talking about. Hmm. She spoke about Dharma. Wow. Purpose. She spoke about intention. And the, it, it was unbelievable. So yes, that was an amazing experience. And um, I'm grateful to have had the chance to, to be there. That's so beautiful. I'm not surprised, but so happy to hear that you felt like she, I mean, she's just amazing. She's just amazing because she obviously has like such a sharp mind but she's also so intuitive and, and so attuned to, she seems so authentic to me. And like that, the way that she inspires people, I tend to sort of recoil a little bit from like big popular inspiring figures, 
but she just, I don't know. She just seems really genuine and, and authentic. So it's great to hear that that was, that she had, and also great to hear that she had that effect on all of those people. Just, yeah. yeah like you said, her Shakti clearly very po- it, powerful. Well, yeah. And, and the other thing that sh- it's the Shakti in my, this is my opinion, but mixed with the fact that she knows truth. Mm. She knows truth and the truth is flowing through her. Mm. It's very, very clear because you're seeing her live responding, no teleprompter. Wow. People are asking, you know, questions and there's a vibration, especially when that you recognize when you, um, have been around a lot of spiritual, you know, teachers, Mm -hmm. there is a vibration when you feel something is really in alignment and resonant. And she has that. There's Hmm. no question about that. Wow. That's amazing. That's really amazing. So I want to hear about your new book. You've just Mm -hmm. released a book called Radiant Rest. I'd love to hear kind of what's the inspiration behind the book and, and how it can help people. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. So Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity came out March 9th. Super excited. You know, the book, it's interesting because I was asked by Shambhala Publications to write this book on Yoga Nidra. And at the beginning of being asked that question, because I was working on another project, another writing project, I was very resistant because I thought, oh, there's so many other books on Yoga Nidra and this person is going to write a book and that person's going to write a book. And I really had to sit down and think about what my understanding of Yoga Nidra was and what my relationship to Yoga Nidra was. And when I did that, I just sat down and I wrote out some bullet points. I realized that I had the bones of the book proposal of what the book would be and what the book would be and is, is how to form a relationship with the practice Mm. with not only the technique, the state of consciousness and the goddess and to write that in a way that was really coming from the depths of my practice And to write it in a way that made it accessible for people to be able to take these practices home and do them in a way that was going to inspire them. And if they were teachers to also give them tools in which to be able to embody the practices so that they can teach them responsibly and with a sense uh, of transmission. Hmm. So that's really the book. The book has a little bit of the history of Yoga Nidra. It has nature amplification practices. It has pre-practices to prepare the body and the mind to deeply relax. And then it has six Yoga Nidra practices that are also downloadable audio files as soon as you buy the book. So I am very proud of it. um, And I am hoping that it will be received from my heart because I feel like Mm -hmm. it's a prayer out into the world because rest is our birthright and so is knowing our true nature. And at the end or at the deepest level of yoga nidra, I feel like that's what 
can be offered is just tasting our true nature. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really needed to talk to you today. I, I feel, I feel that deep in my heart and I just, I so appreciate like just clearly all the work that you've done here to make this available to so many of us. And on a very technical note, I also really appreciate that you recorded the practices to go with the book, because I feel like that will make it a really embodied experience for people. It's so, so hard to learn these things just by, by reading. So to have that experiential part is just, it's brilliant. Mm, Thank you for saying that. I feel like that's just another way also to make it accessible because not everyone's going to have time to read. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather you lay down and do the practice and read later Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. if you have a choice. So, Yeah. 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 Well, awesome. Thank you so, so much, Tracy. I just love talking to you today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. I will put show notes, including a link to Tracy's book at yoglandpodcast.com slash episode 227. As always, I really appreciate it when you share the podcast on social media with your friends, when you tell me if an episode has resonated with you, or when you leave a rating or a review on iTunes. So thank you for being you and for being out there and listening. And until next week, enjoy your practice. Enjoy your practice.